I'm Sean McCormick, and this is Optimal Performance. They're on screens for a, a lot of their work day, and they notice typically a relief in their eye strain symptoms, and often very quickly. What happens with aging is lingering senescence. We made them, they didn't go away. How am I doing in the afternoon? And then, you know, how am I doing at the end of the day? Am I still a good version of myself? This idea that maybe you just needed a little bit more nutrient support and you wouldn't be so short with your family. Maybe you just needed some sort of nootropic. That everyone is Dr. Gregory Kelly. He's the director of product development at Neurohacker Collective. If you have been paying attention to biohacking or smart drugs, if you follow Ben Greenfield, you will know the name Qualia. Qualia is one product that comes from the Neurohacker Collective. And they make a ton of cool products, including products for your eyeballs that help all of us who look at screens for long periods of time during the day. I don't know if that's you, it's definitely me. They also make products for senescent cells that have, that have died that need to get released out of your system. And they also make a product now for your gut, which is uh, pretty exciting because gut health is connected to so many things. Um, Dr. Greg Kelly has been an influential figure in the field of natural medicine and nutrition, and he's at the forefront of creating these products. He is a super interesting guy, really nice demeanor, and we talk a little bit about sort of the philosophy of performance, how we can use nutrients and supplements in just the right doses at just the right times to really be our best, to really have optimal performance throughout the day, throughout our lives. And as an older gentleman who has been developing, you know, anti-aging and regenerative medicine, weight management, sleep, um, chronobiology performance, sleep, I mean, just so many different things. He's got a lot of really cool opinions. This was really one of the more pl uh, pleasurable conversations that I've had in a while with someone who I respect greatly. As you can sometimes come to expect from podcasts like this, there is a special offer for you. If you are interested in their symbiotic product, which is their gut health product on top of, again, so many other cool things, you can go to neurohacker.com. There's a uh, link in the show notes that you can click on, but if you use the code optimal 15, you can get their symbiotic product, which is, which is brand new. And there are a couple of companies in the performance field that I have a lot of respect for and uh, the Neurohacker Collective is certainly one of a very small handful of companies making really high quality products for people to live their best life. Before we jump into the episode, I wanted to share just a couple of things. Number one, if you are not getting emails from me on Wednesday in the middle of the day, why not? You should be. It's because I don't have your email. Please send it over to me and I'll include you on the next send for What's Up Wednesday. Five bullet points, five nuggets of wisdom that you're going to love. It's about four minutes long, this email. So send me your email, sean at seanmccormick.com, or you can sign up on my website, which is seanmccormick.com. If you had not subscribed to this here podcast, please do so. It really helps our ratings and helps this, this podcast continue to grow. And, uh, and as always, you can find me on Instagram at real Sean McCormick, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Dr. Gregory Kelly from Neurohacker Collective. I think it was probably 2012, maybe 2013 when I had the two part Qualia product and 
I, I tried it for, I think I tried it for the whole bottle. I think I went through both bottles and did, did it as directed. And that was during a time when I was experimenting with the racetams and modafinil. I was building businesses and float centers and having babies and not by myself, actually, of course. And, uh, and so I was tinkering around with my cognition quite a lot, meditating a lot, floating a lot. And, and my experience with, with the quality products back then weren't great. And it was a little too much. And, and, and so to now go fast forward, you know, 11 years later to be having this conversation and this interaction with you and now having, you know, having, having, tr- having tried this product again, this, the, the quality of mind and having a much different experience is, is kind of full circle. Well, thanks. Thanks for giving it another try. So yeah, I'll, um, if you don't mind, I'll just touch on the history. So when Neurohacker Collective was started, so Qualia is our, our brand we're known for, the original cognitive product or stack, we refer to as either Qualia OG, like all the original, or Qualia Two-Step. And Two-Step because it was two separate bottles, a little tiny one that we recommended you take um, at the beginning of your day away from food, so no competition for you know getting into the blood brain with other amino acids, and then a lot bigger capsule um, that we recommended taking with food that had you know the um, the mag teen and turmeric and things like that. And um, the product you just took, Qualia Mind, eventually replaced it. And part of the reason was we wanted to make it easier. It was definitely complicated for many people to take this at this time, this one later. Um, the original two-step was two of the small capsules. And then I think it was seven of the big ones, right? And they were massive capsules. They were huge. And um, and so we wanted to reduce capsule count a little. We still have an ambitious capsule count in Qualia Mind. Um, and then the last piece was um, we wanted to create something that still worked as well, but didn't have things I think of as slightly into that gray area of dietary supplements, you know, like like a new new pet as an example that. Um, when we were first starting out, I think the risk tolerance of the owners was a lot higher <laughs> than it is, you know, became after we um, got some traction. And so those were the goals. Like, can we make something that, you know, for most people felt as well or better, fewer capsules, simpler dosing, and that had all compliant ingredients, which eventually led us to develop quality of mind. And one of the things that that we found when we developed because we did a lot of AB testing, which I'm, I'm sure you do on your end as well. And invariably the variant that we put Celastris in, Celastris is sometimes called the intellect tree in Ayurveda. But when we put that Celastris seed extract in, that seemed to consistently produce the best overall response. And the versions that we left that out just didn't test as well. So it was, it was a really, um, you know, interesting process because we made up, you know, one tons of recipes of the OG qualia, but then the replacement was the same. There was, um, I think it was that fall of 2018, there was, you know, a dozen or more experiments <laughs> with slightly different recipes. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the process because you can't, you can't make everybody, you can't please everyone, right? You can't make because everyone's cognition is different. Everyone's neurochemistry is different. And not only that, it changes over time. Like what my brain needs or responds to now is different than it was when I first tried the, the OG product. And, and so 
as I go through a life cycle, a cognitive cycle of needing different sorts of nutrients and blends and stacks to have the effect I'm looking for, I, I imagine that the that the constant experimentation and iteration that you go through at at uh, the Neurohacker Collective is exhaustive. And I and I I just I'm trying to wrap my brain around how you decipher like yes this is what we're trying to do versus like oh we need a little bit more of this like maybe walk us through a little bit how you make these. Yeah. So I guess like stepping back even before we get to that. Yeah. Our model is, you know, like what you just alluded to, your mileage may vary, right? And it may not only vary between, you know, you and me today, but, you know, me over time, you over time. Um, so we don't, it's not our goal, or frankly, do we even think it's feasible to create something that's going to, you know, work for everyone, that everyone's going to love. So we tend to like slice into super responders, responders, non-responders, and negative responders. So we for most things, I would say that those are pretty good um, groupings. And that what you'll usually see is more of a bell curve for things where, you know, most people are going to be in the non-responder, good responder range, and then it'll be, you know, just the tails will be negative and super. So our goal when we create a formula is just to shift that bell curve. So we're seeing about equal amounts of good and super responders, then, you know, we're comfortable with, say, about one out of five non-responders. And the goal is obviously not to have, you know, create a negative effects. And so that's, that's our target whenever we create a new product is to get into that sweet spot. And once we are, then iteration is done. And part of the reason we do the 100-day money-back guarantee is because we recognize there's going to be a subset of people that they just don't, it doesn't work for them the way that it, you know, it works with the super responders or good responders. So anyways, that's, that's the framework. That's the target. And I think... Um, I wouldn't say that's unique, but I think there's a lot of delusion out there, like, oh, I'll get something that'll work for everyone. And that's just not our mindset. So then kind of the, the next step, if we were starting from scratch to do quality of mind, you know, we'd be, you know, in the nootropic Reddits, nootropic Facebook communities, things like that, finding out what people are using, what they're excited about, what they're stacking together. Um, you know, that'll form one, I, I call that the end of one branch of information. Then we'll also be reading you know, any of the human studies on things like, you know, say an alpha and E, right? We would have exhaustively read those, you know, ranked them. Um, a lot of these studies in our space are frankly a lot weaker than influencers might lead you to believe in mm. terms of their, like their results. And then, you know, we would also then look at mechanisms, but more from a, we tend to say complex systems approach, but like a systems approach. So, um, like the choline cycle, um, as an example, there's you know different points you can enter that with choline precursors. Um, Citicholine enters in a different place than alpha GPC, in a different place than lecithin. So, what we'll often conceptually think of, you know, would it be better to support entry in multiple places rather than just give a higher amount of one of those precursors? Sure. As an example, and then our goal is always to create flow through the system. So are there any limiting enzymes in that flow? And if so, is there, you know, a nutrient cofactor or botanical that may upregulate the um, activity or amount of that enzyme that makes sure the flow in that process is better. So when we like something like volume mind, you know, there'd be an acetylcholine stack, there'd be a dopamine stack, there'd be an energy stack, there'd be a stress stack and each one, 
we would have taken that approach to. And then what invariably happens for a complicated product like that, we'll build the mini stacks and take them and just see what each stack does before then stacking them together, hmm. if that makes sense. And if we get to a point where like, oh, we like this internally, right? You know, I've taken it, some of our team has, then we actually do a small, we think of it as a pilot study, but we'll recruit people. Um, we have a, we call it our beta platform, but we have a couple thousand people that have volunteered to participate in testing new products. So then we'll send it out to them and usually do, like if we were doing a sleep product, we'd use probably the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index and a couple other validated questionnaires. For cognition, we sometimes use the ADEXI, which is an executive function questionnaire. We use another questionnaire that's more focused on um, fatigue, mental energy. So then we'll just see, like, did this, you know, actually work? Hmm. And um, and again, with the target being, you know, really looking for super responders. And since you're being super patient here, I'll just give one more quick story. Um, pre the lockdown time period, we were doing this process with a mood product. And we got to the point of doing a pretty elaborate stack, sending it out to testing. And it was the one of the most interesting pilot studies that came back. We had, so I'm just gonna arbitrarily say 25 people completed it, but we had almost 100% of them were good responders. I think we had one super responder and no negative. So that was a really weird thing. Like, and we didn't move that forward because we just didn't get enough super responders for that product. So even though we had like a crazy amount of people percentage-wise that thought it was good, we just didn't have great. And that, you know, that didn't meet our, our goal. We have to have a certain amount of people that get a great response from something. Interesting. So even though everyone says, hey, this is good, 25, 24 out of 25 people say, hey, this is good. That's not good enough for you guys. Yeah. Uh, we'd have been better if, if say we had 10 great, 10 good, and five, nah, it didn't do anything for me. We'd have moved it forward. Fascinating. Fascinating process. Because it, it ends up being those super responders yeah. that are the ones that really, it, it really makes a meaningful difference for their experience of, you know, work, productivity, life, you name it. And that become the people that it, it's an important product for. And our, one of our founders, Daniel Smockenberger, I'm, I'm going to miss, you know, his paraphrasing, but like his thing is there's enough things out there that are just noise. We only want to do things that really make a big difference. Hmm. This episode is brought to you by BioPro Plus, the non-synthetic HGH alternative that works so incredibly well. And I'm going to talk to you about how I use it and why I love it. And then I'll tell you some of the details about what it is and how it works. Number one, I do not exaggerate when I tell you that BioPro Plus is the most effective supplement I've ever taken to enhance vitality. So that's energy, metabolism, that is sleep, that is libido. All of those things have been enhanced since I've been taking it, and so many of my coaching clients and you listeners can attest to that. It's super simple. It's literally the first thing I do in the morning. After I wake up and use the bathroom, I unscrew the cap to a little tiny vial of the liquid, and then I just pour it underneath my tongue, and that's how I start my day. 
I can usually start to feel it after about 30, 45 minutes. BioPro Plus is the faster, easier, and safer non-synthetic alternative to painful, expensive, and invasive anti-aging and hormone treatments. Before you do TRT, before you start taking a bunch of herbs that may not make you feel the way that you want to feel, you should try this. Go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP to get $30 off. You know, you know that a sponsor is a hit when people who have purchased it reach out to me and say, holy cow, Sean, I tried this and it's amazing. It's blowing my mind. It makes me better at everything that I do. I love having sponsors like this that really make a difference in people's lives. And this product is, it's absolutely incredible. It's growth factors and amino acids that will help you improve your hormones, become better at everything that you want to do. So go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. Good isn't quite good enough because coffee's good, right? Yeah. You know, a good night's sleep is good, but that's not the same as noticeable vocabulary recall and, you know, trackable focus and, you know, short-term memory, long-term memory stuff that I guess that makes sense to me. It, it's, it's, it's awfully interesting to be able to peek behind the curtain and see how the sausage is made to understand how this process works. Well, it, it sort of begs the question for me. So when you're dealing with and formulating products that are meant to be noticeable, such as the mind or any sort of mood product, how do you do that with Senolytics? How do you do that with an eyeball product, right? Like I don't yeah. notice that my eyeballs are better. I don't maybe necessarily notice my vision's improving. I certainly can't feel my zombie cells, you know, finally excreting themselves, you know, <laughs> like, so, and, 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 and the reason I'm asking it in this way is because I do want to talk about the Senolytic product because I think that that's super, super cutting edge, yeah. but hopefully we'll, you know, sort of roll into that with the way that I've positioned that question. Yeah, well, let's let's do the vision one first since sure. that's more straightforward. So we, Polyvision is the, the name of this product, but that was created and I was the champion of it to do something for screen time because I'm on screens a lot, right? So screen time stress. And there are, you know, uh, several different questionnaires that are most commonly used in studies and, and almost they were all like eventually originated from occupational stress questionnaires for people that are on computers for their work right yeah so the so you can use those questionnaires and do a before and after and see is there a big you know change in their screen time stress symptoms um now one of the things that was interesting when we did that for volume vision is i my numbers may not be completely accurate, but we have this published on our blogs and the studies, but there was somewhere about a 70% reduction in this like, you know, subjective experience of screen time, um, stress issues with the participants in that original study. But some of the people that had this you know, crazy reduction would then their comments at the end, like, oh yeah, the product was good. I didn't really notice it. <laughs> you know, uh... So they, even over a month, they're like, they so quickly equilibrated to the new lesser eye stress strain symptoms that it wasn't as evident to them how much the product had helped. That's, that's, that's funny. I mean, no. so I, let me, uh, let me interrupt you here for a second. What were some of the symptoms that people were reporting reductions in? Is it like tinnitus, a brain fog, eye soreness, eye redness, that sort of stuff? So the questionnaire we used for quality vision was very much related to eye strain 
things. So those are, um, so I, I tend to think of front of the eye, back of the eye and eye muscles, right? Those are the three clusters hmm. of how the symptoms. And then the last one would be, would be almost like tension symptoms, like shoulder strain, headache. But the, the front of the eye, that's, you know, most, more than anything else, that's the sensation of either your eyes being really dry or the flip side of that is as a protective mechanism, your eyes water a lot to try to like lubricate themselves because the, the stress. So that would be, you know, one, one area of symptoms. Um, back of the eye, you know, that's your retina. And it, it's more things like people often think of the only thing with vision is visual acuity, right? Like how crisp your vision is when you're doing a driver's test, as an example. But that's just one of many important jobs vision does. Like one of the most important ones and think like in nature, right? Or if you have a garden, there's going to be different shades of green in that garden. Like how do you pick out those uh -huh. gradients, right? That's your retina, right? Color vision. So, you know, that's where your macular carotenoids like routine, zeaxanthin and, you know, things like that. They, they don't really improve visual acuity. What they do is things with contrast and retinal health and um, flicker and things like that. So, you know, they're in a sense um, shade for our retina. So they, they're like a big part of that blue light protection. And then the last part, and, you know, I'm sure you would get this just from working out, right? Like imagine you do, someone said, all right, you know, Sean, I want you to hold this dumbbell for the next two hours and just stand there, right? Some, somewhere long before that, your muscle would be quivering, right? So when we focus our vision on, you know, our, our screen, like right now I'm on my computer, but the, the closer in our focus is, the more the muscles have to like essentially rotate our, our focal point in. So a, um, like a TV across the room is gonna cause less of that muscular strain than a computer a foot away. And that's going to be, you know, much less than a phone if it's six inches away. Mm. So what functionally happens is people are on screens and a lot of like, especially I've seen it with some of my younger friends and, you know, their kids is, you know, they'll have a phone or iPad right in front of their eyes. And usually that's going to cause eye strain really quick. You know, like a computer, maybe you've got two hours before those you know, muscles, if you don't take a break, start to, you know, freak out and quiver. But the closer it is, the quicker that's accelerated. So, you know, that's where things like astaxanthin, as an example, astaxanthin is often, you know, thought of as an ergogenic and used for exercise performance as an antioxidant, but it has kind of the same role in eye muscles. It helps with supporting these muscles that are just functionally being asked to like pull the barbell for mm. you know, sometimes hours on end. So that's like when we did Qualia Vision, it was very focused on, you know, like a selection, but we, like I, something together for marketing like it's the colors of the rainbow right bilberry you know or blueberries that front of the eye right that's where it mostly protects astaxanthins that salmon pink color right salmon would feed on it right that's a different color and that has a different role the you know the lutein zeaxanthin or those yellow pigments um you know um goji berry is another thing that naturally has carotenoids and um so does saffron as an example and then I guess before we move on, the one other piece just for your audience, beta carotene is crazy overrated for vision, <laughs> ah. right? So it's like, it's not a macular carotenoid. Its role is being made into actual vitamin A, which is involved in dark vision. And um, carotenoids can compete for absorption. So fundamentally, if you had a product that had lutein and zeaxanthin, which you want to get in 
you know, as macular carotenoids and beta carotene in it, the beta carotene is going to slow or prevent some of the absorption of the good stuff you need. And not really like there's very few people in North America or U.S. as an example that are functionally vitamin A deficient that would you know, benefit from that. Huh. And and then the last piece is vitamin A just because of its role. Like if you hit vitamin A and blue light, that combo is actually bad for the eyes. Like in an animal, like as an example, if they were tr- like exposing an animal to blue light stress, vitamin A is going to exacerbate that stress. But in part, because again, like vitamin A is more for dark vision, right? It wouldn't be a time where blue light would be an issue. Interesting. So anyways, like it's one of the things I remember seeing when I looked at a lot of competing pod products early on in the quality vision arc, at how many of them combined good carotenoids, the macular ones with beta carotene because of this, you know, I think it goes back to when I was a kid, like carrots are eaten carrots by, you know, like, for your eyes. Yeah. And, and that's, it, they are, but not because of the beta carotene. Huh. They're the, not the beta carotene, the carotenoids specifically are the ones. Yeah. The right. macular carotenoids. Yeah. The macular carotenoids. I, I think vision, uh, of course you and I, you especially, but I myself as well work we're into this stuff, right? We're, we're fascinated by ingredients and stacks and performance optimization. I think for the, for the sort of regular consumer that maybe takes maybe a couple of vitamins or a couple of supplements because their friend or their, you know, buddy, Sean, maybe suggested that they do. I don't think that very many people even know that eye products exist. And so to, to go this deep into the different, <laughs> the distinction between beta carotene and, and, and uh, macular carotenoids to, to help your eyes and, and, and envisioning sort of the color of the rainbow and the different, you know, polyphenols and colors that you're, that you're ingesting that are actually going to help your eyeballs is pretty fascinating. I did one really quick story post um, about quality of vision. And it was kind of clever. I, I thought it was clever because it was like started out of focus. And as it came out, became, came into focus. And I got like six or seven different DMS from people that were like, let me know how this goes. I'm super curious about, I didn't know that there were vision products. There are products for the eyes. Let me know how that goes. So I want to stick with this, with, with the vision product more specifically for a second. Uh, what do people say? What, what has some of the feedback been specifically on quality of vision after they've, after they've experienced it for a while? Well, I think the, the most common thing we would get would be people that their use case is a lot like mine. They're on screens for a, a lot of their work day and they notice typically a relief in their eye strain symptoms and often very quickly. So when we did our original pilot on it, I think we asked the questionnaire that two weeks and four weeks. And we saw a pretty robust response by two weeks. So it's wow. for, for that subset, it, it was intended to be a felt product and it is. And like I said, the one drawback is people, you know, can equilibrate to their, you know, their levels of stress so quickly that sometimes they'll, you know, a month later, they'll, you know, not realize how much eye strain they had before they started something. But the, you know, one of the nice things is, you know, when you stop something, it doesn't take long often for those eye strain symptoms to come back. So not like sure. a nice thing for that person, but like a, you know, a piece of evidence that the product might've been helping you. So. That's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, after a couple of weeks, I didn't really notice it anymore. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's because it's working and because you don't notice it anymore, dumb, dumb. You yeah. know, I, I think we all, we've all been there before. Uh, that's really interesting. So two, two weeks in. Well, like, I'll give you just a quick um, yeah. kind of one story. So we have a neuroscientist that's worked with us since OG, since like original two-step. She's over in um, Portugal. And because of, for different reasons, it's hard to ship her things to try them. So I just had a buddy that was on vacation there. So I'm like, bring her this swag box of all our products. So Tuesday, we had our weekly call. And she's like, wow, I love vision. It's, <laughs> my eyes feel so much better just taking it for the last week since your friend gave it to me. So, you know, and she wouldn't be, like she works with us, but I wouldn't think of her as an aggressive supplement taker, right? Hmm. So, you know, it was, it was interesting to get her, you know, such strong feedback right away for that product. It says you can take it anytime, just take one capsule each day with food. Uh, and then you, and then you have another little piece of this, which I think is important. It's nice to know that you're thinking a little further ahead we recommend taking quality vision five days on and two days off each week it does not matter if the off cycle days are consecutive or apart what what's the i i know i have a suspicion about why you do this but i would love for you to explain because i don't i don't think that that specificity is something that people are keenly aware of Why, why would you do that so the way um i have you heard of the yerkes dodson law yerkes dodson curve anywhere in no. your travels. So the, it's named after Yerkes and Dotson, right? So two researchers that go way back. And their original experiment was with caffeine and like almost what you would think of as arousal. So what they found is without caffeine, low level of arousal, increased caffeine doses, you eventually like climb up, like, you know, you're improving um, until you hit like some ceiling, some plateau. And caffeine beyond that worsened performance. Like you became hyper aroused in a sense, right? So that that same curve would apply to in exercise as an example, right? Like you and I decide, oh, we're going to prepare for a 10K run. Neither one of us has run for a while. We start gradually. Our performance is going to improve almost no matter what we do. For a while, you know, we keep doing it every day. We'll probably at some point hit a peak. And if we keep doing it without building in recovery, we're likely to you know, start to overtrain it, right? We'll have tracked through that curve. So my bias, and that's exactly what it is, it's a bias, is that most things will track through that curve. And the thing that determines where on that curve we are is the duration we've done something and the intensity with which we've done it. So like my short story would be, if you and I decided we're gonna run a marathon every weekend for the next year, we'd track through that pretty quickly. Right. Probably me, not, not me. Way, no, way no. before a year. Not me, man. Not, not in my if, thing. If we said, oh, we're going to go for like a two mile walk every morning, a year from now, we may still be ascending up, right? We may have not reached that peak, right? So that's the intensity mm. piece. And where intensity comes into play in the supplement world for Neurohacker Collective and for me is the dose. So the more intense the dose of something, the quicker you you know, crunch down the time to track through that up the, upside down curve. And just like with exercise, like one way to spread that time duration out is to periodically have a break from something, right? So one of the stupid things I did when I was in the Navy right out of college back in the 80s was I went to the gym every day and then was, why am I getting bigger? 
<laughs> there was no there was no recovery built in, right? Plus a lot of other stress, sleep deprivation, body clock disruption, you name it from the Navy. But one of the things that we just say as a default is let's just build in recovery. There's very few things that you would need to take every day. And you know, things like the macular carotenoids, they're lipid soluble. They'll slowly accumulate over time. And you know, studies on lutein, as an example, last sometimes six months, a year, right? So those are fine to take every day. But if you don't have to take it every day, then some of the things in there that you know might be a little bit stronger that might act a little bit, bit more like a stronger push of exercise, let's just build in some recovery. Mm. And that, that would be much more important than something like call your mind that has, you know, a small dose of caffeine than something like call your vision. That's more food extracts. But um, but our default tends to be let's let's just build that in. And I think often it's I know just for me personally, it's nice after taking a small handful of supplements Monday through Friday to not have to worry about taking a bunch of things on Saturday and Sunday. Is that so did, is that how you do it personally? Is you just take the weekends off? For most things, yeah. Do you feel, do you ever feel like a dum-dum on the weekends? You feel a little dull at all? No? No, well, sometimes on the week, I live right by the beach in San Diego County, and I, I'm a big reader. So if I'm out on the sun on a weekend, I'll invariably take like a short nap at some point, which during the work week, that never happens. I never feel like that. You ah. lull in the afternoon for energy. But I think, you know, personally on my weekend, I like to be able to you know, yeah. relax and close my eyes if I feel like it. So yeah. That's wonderful. I, I like I like the way of doing that. It, it reminds me of the Fodiman protocol of microdosing psilocybin, um, four on, three off, uh, and the Stamets protocol, which is the same. So to ha- to hear you explain it in in um in in that respect and and liken it to exercise makes a lot of sense to me. And you don't see that you don't see that on labels of anything. Most most of the time, you don't see that sort of um. St- you know, suggestion of taking a couple of off days. So I, I really, I really dig that. I think that's cool. So I want to rewind a little bit. I went back to, you know, the perception that something is working, right? The, you know, and, and for me, having now taken 10 years off trying, you know, trying the OG and now getting back into it and and using quality of mind as directed, taking the two days off, I can tell the difference. I, I can, there's a sharpness, but back to the original question, which is how do people know that their, that their, the quality of mind is working for them? How do they know that the, the quality of vision is working for them? And then now the senolytics, right? Because that's, that's trickier. So if you could, let's, let's zoom out and, and give us some, some background understanding of what senolytics are, senolytic products are, I think to help people kind of ease into this a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think the story should start maybe with the hallmarks of aging. So 2013, a group of scientists basically said, okay, in looking at, you know, the longevity space writ large from, you know, flies, worms, rodents up to humans, there are certain characteristics that aging has in common. So those are things like mitochondrial dysfunction, telomere attrition, basically telomeres getting shorter, um, DNA not being, they, they could call it genomic instability, but like DNA repair not working well. And, and one of those was senescent cells. And so what a senescent cell is, goes back to 1961, a guy named Hayflick, Hayflick limit is what it's called in science. But 
basically before that, there was this notion that if you had cells in a cell culture growing, they would live forever, right? That cell line would just keep reproducing itself. And what Hayflick found is that after about 50 divisions, cells would just stop. They wouldn't make new copies of themselves. So that became known as the Hayflick limit. And the reason is called replicative senescence. A cell can only re replicate itself so many times before telomeres shorten to such an extent that it won't copy itself anymore. It's called a DNA damage response. But fundamentally, you don't want to risk copying a cell that there's damage to the DNA. And so, you know, free, you know, going back to the 1970s, it was, you know, that's where cellular senescence became the name or senescent cell. Um, and there wasn't really a lot of thought given to cellular senescence until the, say, like 2005, 2010 time period when other roles of it became obvious. And some of those, like the experiments, were that if you did things to um, fundamentally clear senescent cells, then health outcomes started to improve. And so, like, fast forward to 2015. So, at you know, 2013, cellular senescence was a like, characteristic of aging. 2015, Mayo and Scripps Institute of Aging found that if you gave certain compounds, they would essentially cleanse senescent cells out of animal tissue. So um, quercetin is a dietary supplement was one of the, they identified um, as their, one of their first two. The other one was a, a, a medication called the satinib. But so they, they, I guess long story short is what they found is that they called these things senolytic that could um, cause senescent cells to be removed from tissue, that applying those looked like super interesting in the longevity space, meaning in these preliminary animal studies, it rejuvenated tissue, it created basically healthier old animals than the versions that weren't given to senolytics. So that's like, you know, very quick summary of yeah. where we got to like the idea of senescent cells and senolytics. And I think the there's a few terms, they may be, you know, a little beyond the audience, but I'll try to put it into more of a, a, an analogy. But our cells get stressed all the time, right? We talked about exercise. Exercise would be a stress, but it's one that our cells, mitochondria, can adapt to, right? Maybe not if we did the marathon every weekend, <laughs> but, you know, like in general, right? And, um, you know, so I think of when a cell is stressed, there's going to be a continuum of how it tries to respond or adapt to that stress. So, you know, one of the early things is it's going to increase antioxidant defenses, you know, make more glutathione, more SOD, you know, these enzymes that um, can quench free radicals. If there's more stress than that, and that's not sufficient, then often what will happen is you'll gunk things up inside, right? Some of the proteins will misfold, organelles will be damaged. So that's where your autophagy comes in. Autophagy is fundamentally a stress response program to repair damage. It's mm -hmm. a maintenance program. So now we've done even more stress than autophagy can handle. So now it's not worth just trying to repair damage. You know, things are too damaged inside. That's when senescence is executed. And senescence basically means that that cell will no longer divide. It won't make copies of itself, which if it's damaged, makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And now what should happen is that cells should either go through what they call apoptosis. Apoptosis literally translates from a Greek word that means falling off. So falling off in the sense of imagine leaves falling off a tree or fruit 
falling off a branch, right? It's this natural process that should happen. Cells would go through it. And we have, I don't know, like 50 to 70 billion cells a week that go through apoptosis, right? It's a, like a normal thing. Um, and then things that are stress cells that for whatever reason haven't gone through that, the immune system should find and scavenge up, right? So the way I, I think that, I know I explained it this way to our head of marketing and it worked for her, so hopefully the audience will, is think <laughs> of a tree with, or a bush with um, you know, vibrant green leaves. And now all of a sudden you start to see some yellowing leaves on it. So those yellowing leaves would be like senescent cells. You know, they're still there. They haven't gone through the falling off process, but they're damaged, right? Like they're probably not gonna make new healthy leaves. They're just taking up space on the plant. Mm. And so if they don't fall off, which some may not, that's where your gardener comes in and prunes them away. And in this case, the gardener would be the immune system. So what a senolytic is intended to do is convince those cells to literally fall off the plant, right? It's to get them unstuck. So they're in this, you know, like folding phase, they sometimes call the zombie cell, but they're like there, it's to get them now to kick off the rest of the way and fall out of our tissues. So that's fundamentally what a senolytic does. It's, it's, the science is pretty complicated, but it's to trigger that, that senescent cell to complete the journey it started but didn't finish. And by doing that, just like in a plant, now you've made room in that tissue for new cells and um, you know, resources are freed up now to better nourish the healthier cells rather than be wasted on the equivalent of the yellow and leaf. Beautiful comparison. I, that, that, that's so much more elegant than the way that I've read about it and tried to wrap my brain around it before. I mean, like that's, that's brilliant. Everyone can picture a yellowing leaf. I, for what, when, when you say yellowing leaf, what tree do you picture? Um, you know, it's actually not a leaf. It's a, a tree. It's a tomato plant. Ah. And part, Cause that was one of the things my mom always had in our garden every summer was, um, plants uh, my, for whatever reason i pictured a cherry tree okay. uh, and we had a cherry tree in, in my front yard <laughs> growing up yeah that that that's really a that's really a graceful way to explain it and and to and to enable those yellowing leaves to complete their journey i mean it's poetic almost the way that you lay it out gregory because everyone wants to allow the tree to continue to grow and to do what it needs to do. And if it's, it's covered in these yellow leaves that are still there, but not contributing particularly. And um, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Okay. So thank you for that explanation. That's so much more uh, appropriate than calling them zombie cells. Um so, well, our, our head of marketing is a big gardener. So I was trying to figure out a way that would make sense to her at the time when we were developing the products. Yeah, it's, so it's it a lot less apocalyptic, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then so then, how do we know that the product does what it, what it does? And do, does anyone ever experience some effect? Is it noticeable at all when you're taking the, the Senolytic product? Yeah, so the um, so this that's a great question, and it's one that um, so like long story short, senescent cells gradually accumulate through the aging process. So, a you know, 20, 25 year old would have you know in theory trace amounts very low, right? Not interfering with function anywhere. 
by the time you're 70, it's probably interfering in a lot of different tissues. And the general way I would think about it is a threshold effect. You know, just like a you know plant one or two yellow leaves, it's going to probably be fine, right? But if you know a third of the leaves, 20% of the leaves are yellow, it, it may be really struggling. So what would happen predictably with aging is more and more of our tissues will accumulate more of the yellow leaves. And so a lot of the things we think of with aging, there's a connection to senescent cells. So you know, uh, joint discomfort, as an example, um, joints have a lot of fairly rapidly renewing fibroblasts or the type of cell. And fibroblasts are one of the main cells that can become senescent. So, um, so joints would be a, an area some people feel. There's um, anabolic resistance is how it's often termed in science, but there, most people understand that as we get older, it becomes harder for our muscles to get bigger and stronger with the same anabolic stimulus. So that's the idea of anabolic resistance. So in animals, at least senescent cells have been um, found to be at least partially responsible. Maybe even more because if you do a senolytic and get rid of them, then muscles and older animals become more responsive hmm. to these anabolic signals. Um, um, visceral adipose tissue. So that's like the belly fat type of fat, right? Hidden in, in and around our organism. That creates a lot of inflammatory things. Uh, and it's the main type of fat that causes the metabolic issues you usually think of with metabolic syndrome. So synapsin cells and, and adipose tissue contribute to that. So almost any area you think of hmm. as we age, that challenge has a connection. But someone like I may have issues with joint comfort. You may have, you know, metabolic syndrome, a third party, it may be their, you know, muscle response to lifting weights is just a bit blunted. So that may be the area where in those tissues, they're past that threshold. And pruning them away, they'll notice in that area where so you know, I might not see it in the same way because it's not hindering me in the same way. And if someone's below the threshold in all of their tissues, they may not notice anything, right? They're, they're pruning away the yellow leaves, but I wouldn't expect them to necessarily feel something. But the goal is always, you know, just like a gardener, to periodically prune away the dead and dying leaves. We still would want to do that for our tissues, even though we may not feel it's just like, you know, like, I don't know if a plant would feel one or two yellow leaves being pruned away, as opposed to, um, you know, if it was, you know, very damaged. So, so anyways, that's, so with that, our first study, we just recruited people that had some degree of joint discomfort. I think they ranged from you know, 35 up to 70 years old and said, hey, do three cycles of this, fill out this like standard questionnaire that's used widely in research on joint issues. And again, we saw 50% plus improvements for those three cycles for that use, subset of people, right? With the, this particular issue. Do you use that same bell curve for super responder versus it was good? Yeah. So what, yeah. Um, so like as an example, one of the subsets of questions in that has to do with flexibility. You know, so comfort bending over. Another subset of questions has to do with activities of daily living. So, you know, walking up and down stairs comfortably or, you know, getting in and out of your car, carrying groceries, things like that. And so what we, we would see the same thing, like some of them, I'm just going to make up a number, but like say, you know, was a 10, right? Like it was really bad in an area and now was a one, 
after three cycles. Someone else was a 10 and was a seven, right? They were the good responder. So yeah, we see that same kind of swathing. Like some people, crazy positive response, you know, like almost, you know, 10 to, to one or two and, you know, hmm. uh, another subset, um, some moderation of issues. Really interesting. Really interesting. What do you think are the implications? Because again, the way that you framed it is, you know, you, Sean, may have a higher concentration of senolytic cells in your testicles, you know, God forbid. Um, I, don't, I don't know why <laughs> I just went there. Probably didn't need to do that. Gonna Not going to edit it out. Just going to leave it. But what if you know, when I think about maybe the most impactful or maybe the most consequential areas of these senolytic acute cellular accumulations is like the brain, the heart, let's say the gut too, right? Um, is it conceivable that one person may have a higher concentration of senolytic cells in the heart that is actually hindering their heart from operating at its uh adequate and let alone optimal level for sure so i i think that um we're all going to be somewhat unique right i think we like salient one of the stress researchers i like his idea right we all suffer wear and tear but we wear and tear you know unevenly in our tissues and so some of that's going to be you know like our unique genetics some will be family history that you know that will give our kind of achilles heel and then some will be you know what we stressed out unevenly in our lives. And, mm. you know, my general thought is, you know, that hay flick limit, like telomere shortening, like that can cause a cell to become senescent. But in a cell culture, way before that, if you stress the cell culture, right, expose it to UV light or, you know, intense UV light, um, you know, nutrient deprivation or other things that would stress cells, then it would be called premature stress-induced senescence. And my guess is most of what, when we think of, you know, senescent cells and aging, it's not because we've, all of our cells wore down because of telomere attrition, like 50 replications is a lot, mm, <laughs> right? Because yeah. each one doubling the population and then there's stem cells that can always step in and replace. So I think it's these, you know, stress-induced premature senescence is what functionally happens mostly with aging. And so it's then you know, where your genetics and how you lived your life would unevenly stress a certain tissue. So it is where I think it would show up. So like, as an example, like I'm a pro sun person, I, I live by the beach, but I'm, I moderate my sun exposure. I, I don't, you know, I'm Irish ethnicity background, but I tan pretty well, but you know, until I have a pretty good base, I, I pick my spots, so to speak, right? I'm out most days for a bit in the sun, but not so I burn. But if someone burned their skin a bunch of times, then you would see senescent cells accumulate in their skin, as an example. So it's where we've stressed things out is where we'll probably, you know, disproportionately be impacted. Uh, so, like as a, a, an example, and like this would be another N of one, and so take it with a grain of salt. But I've got a good buddy, lifelong friend. Um, he started on qualiacinolytic back in the fall. I, I was visiting um, him and a couple other buddies in Vegas and brought some for them to try. And when I was back out in Vegas in December for the um, A4M, which is a big anti-aging conference, he's like, wow, you know, I, I haven't been able to like do like a throw to my dogs in ages. And all of a sudden, like I can throw pretty comfortably. Like, could that be 
you know, your product. I was like, I don't know, right? But there was something, you know, restrictive there, you know, a couple cycles of it, all of a sudden he could do this thing more comfortably. And, you know, it would make sense just in the same sense that joints, right? Like that was a unique way he experienced it. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, that's cool because it, it certainly didn't hurt, right? And whether, whether it can be directly attributed to the product or not, that again, those N of one uh, awarenesses are, are important. It's not like he would have mentioned that he would have mentioned if it was like, oh, I was doing PT the whole time, yeah. you know, or, or like, you know, I got stem cell injections on my shoulder. Like he would have probably, he would have probably mentioned that. I, and, and, and I'm, and I'm going into the dosing on this stuff intricately because I think that it's a unique uh, feature of the products that, that Neurohacker Collective provides, which is really specific doses and protocols. Take six cap. This is specifically for the Senolytic product. Take six capsules per day on two consecutive days. Wait about four weeks before repeating. Use monthly for best results. So when you say one or two cycles, does is is that is is six capsules for two consensus for two consecutive days? Is that one cycle? Yes. Got yeah, it. I prefer to cycle. It would be that you did like the full box. Um, crunched into that time period. And the, the reason for that is the things that have been found to date that are in the dietary supplement world, plant extracts, to be senolytic are generally fairly poorly absorbed, which may actually be a feature, right? Because a lot of health is happening in, in the gut microbiome because things like polyphenols get there unabsorbed. But because of that, in animal studies and then the ongoing studies that are happening with say fisetine as an example, in the human equivalent dose that they're using is 20 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. So um, I think there's, last time I looked, there was nine studies on clinicaltrials.gov all with that same dose. And then typically it's what they refer to as a hit and run dose. Because you're doing such a large bolus, do that's the hit part and then you know, run away, have like a long period of time to recover. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that, you know, like in the original senolytic studies, it was all about risk reward. They thought in, in those terms, like what's the best way to mitigate risk and get a big reward. And what they decided on was high intensity, but short duration. So, and then like long duration between it to extend out that time period of good benefit kind of like what I talked about in that adaptation approach. So that's how yeah. we recommend doing it. That's consistent with both the ongoing human studies and um, the way senolytics have been used in animal studies. So something like, like bisotin, as an example, I see in you know, some other products that even call themselves uh, senolytics, but the dose will maybe be 100 milligrams total, you know, rather than the 20 milligrams per kilogram. So it's just, it's too low to really have a senolytic effect. I see. I see. And then the other thing is, like most things, and you would know this really well, you, most things aren't like all good or all bad. They're you know, context dependent. So, you know, senescent cells play some positive roles. Like if, if we did something or something happened and I injured a tissue, my body is going to make some senescent cells in that local area to call in the immune system. And when the immune system comes 
comes in, it'll clean those senescent cells up, but also help you know, repair that damage. So like, I think of that as transient senescence, hmm. right? So we, we don't want to interfere with transient senescence. Now, senolytics really don't do that, but th that's a positive role, but it's a temporary thing. Our body made some senescent cells, they fulfilled their role, and then they either fell off the plant or the immune system pruned them away. What happens with aging is lingering senescence. We made them, they didn't go away. And the goal then is, and again, this would be the analogy I use for our head of marketing. You know, you wouldn't prune a plant every day, would you? You'd kill the poor thing, right? Yeah. Like prune it strategically once a month, maybe. So that's the same way that scientists have evolved to think about using senolytics. Wow. So the, the, I've seen like in animal studies, you know, it'll be, you know, an animal doesn't live as long. So they'll crunch down that vacation from the senolytic shorter. But it like the, the least amount of time that we've had people go before doing another cycle is 12 days off. So, you know, like for, for our study that we did on people with the joint discomfort, we had them do three cycles over about five weeks. So hmm. our normal dosing, you would have done two dosing cycles over that. Like, so for me, I take it, Personally, the first weekend of a month, I take six capsules on Saturday, six on Sunday, and then I'm done till the next month or two. And, and why, can you say that last part again? Yeah. So like, as you mentioned, like it's recommended like two days a month is our yeah. suggested dosing. So I just time mine the first weekend of a month, just so I'll remember it. And the weekend is a day that I naturally don't take any things for supplements. So not a big burden to now take these six things. Um, gotcha. So that's how a lot of our team evolved. They followed my lead and they take it on the first weekend uh -huh. of the month. So. I, I like how you're describing, I like how you're describing how you personally take it, right? Yeah. How you, how you think of your supplementation overall, you know, it takes up five days a week. I take the weekends off and enjoy a nap, you know, um, I, I like the way that because it 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 can, it can be cumbersome. I think for a lot of people who are not not just biohackers and performance optimizer enthusiasts, folks, but people who know that they're not getting enough nutrients for them from their food, and that that it's really important for them to supplement for their brain and for their gut and for just their their life. So I like the way that you're describing it, and and a lot of the sort of thrust of the delivery of these different products is coming through you, you know, and, and how, how you approach this. So I think it's, it's a really cool, it's a, it's a really cool way to, to think of, about simplifying this process because it can be overwhelming. Is that, is that really intentional for you? Do you, do you focus a lot on, on making stacks and protocols that are going to be simplified for people? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was, there was a, time period i'm a naturopathic doctor so there was a time period where i was in practice and saw patients and you know one of the things that you find it doesn't matter how smart you think your protocol is <laughs> if that person can't execute it you know it's not going to work for them you know or the like what i saw fairly frequently um both in naturopathic school but when i was first in practice and then among colleagues is people would give their clients or patients a lot to do and they would you know, race out of the gate, make all these changes, take all these supplements, and the wheels would come off. 
mm-hmm. you know, four weeks, six weeks later, and often they'd be too embarrassed to come back because they didn't want to, you know, come back and feel like a failure that they weren't able to continue doing all these things. And everything competes for mental energy, right? Everything we're asking our brain to do is competing for a limited pool, right? So, like, I'm not a, I'm not under the delusion that I can do a hundred things, right? I can do one thing at a time. Well, you know, what are, what's the most high value thing I can do in that moment or with that time. And so the same with supplements, you know, I, um, I have never been a more is better type of person. I mm-hmm. think like, you know, I even call your mind my most, like I've been taking seven this week, just as a, um, like a, um, like for this bottle, but, most commonly, call your mind. I take three or four, um, and that's a good spot for me. But I've done a bit more traveling, have some more traveling coming up, so I want to restock the, the cupboard, so to speak, with resources. Yeah, sure. So I'm taking the full dose right now, and I think, you know, it's always easier just to tell someone do act right, and yeah. then be super confident in it, and that helps. But you know, the um, you know our experience is that the vast majority of people feel like they. Six or seven capsules of Qualia Mind is the sweet spot for them. But I know some other biohackers, one or two, like equivalent more microdosing it. That's their sweet spot. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's on each of us to find out what's the, you know, the, the best for us. And then one of my favorite nutrition teachers in naturopathic medicine, um, he's passed away. But his the, the one thing that I remember more than anything else that he said is, there can be a big difference between a diet that takes someone that's unhealthy and moves them to healthy and a diet that keeps them at healthy. Sure. Right. And so I, I tend to think of that with most things, right? We get often attached to like the, whatever the thing was that moved us right. rather than focusing on, no, now I'm in a good place and this is where I want to stay. And that might mean adjusting a little bit or a right. lot. Right. And so the, my goal is to like, Stay and check with like how am I performing? And the things I expect when I take quality of mind is that I'll have a really productive day. So I, you know, I, I won't have that afternoon slump where I'll feel like I need to take a nap or like my brain's just not firing on all cylinders, right? So if two or three capsules isn't doing it, then I probably need more for like whatever the circumstances. But if three or four is getting me through the whole day and I still have juice left at 5 36 at night. That was sufficient for me, given where I currently am. Right. And so, so then I'll like that's all right. This is good. And the the other thing I think of with nootropics, often people, you know, we want immediate response. So you take you know a nootropic, and an hour later, ah, yeah, I'm feeling it. I'm focused. I'm energetic. I care way more about you know. Say you did that at seven in the morning. You know, how are you showing up at six at night when you get home for your loved ones? Right. Are you like a good version or a better version of yourself? on that nootropic stack at that point, because I mean, it's easy to juice the system at the front end, but um, I know one of my original experiences for OG probably was that I just found driving home in traffic or going out you know, to do trivia with friends, I felt like a better version of myself. I had more patience. I wasn't as you know, overwhelmed by you know, loud noise or distracting people or you name it. And so you know, that's, for me, a big area that I personally focus on, like those mm. two things. How am I doing in the afternoon? 
And then, you know, how am I doing at the end of the day? Am I you know, still a good version of myself? Like that's the goal. That's wonderful. I really, really think that's refreshing to hear you say that. And this is coming from someone as uh, effective and prolific in you know, the work that you've done for years and years to be thinking of it as, okay, well, how am I around my loved ones when I get home? Right. That's, I think that's such an important thing for especially listeners of this podcast, biohackers, optimal performers, people who are pushing it, who are typically type A, who work out pretty hard and are pretty firm on their diet and looking for performance edges, right? Um, Things that will help them be their best. Well, all that's well and good. You could kick ass at work and at your CrossFit workout. You know, you crushed Murph today. Congratulations. But if you come home and you're just a blob of goo and you can't play with your kids or you snap at your wife and you bitch about her cooking or you, you know, you have to watch four hours of television to, to just like, because you, you're brain dead from, from cranking it so hard that day that's a problem. So to hear you say that, I think is a really, really important point. Thanks. Yeah, it was, um, I grew up in a, uh, so I would have been a, like, you know, elementary school, high school in the seventies. And my dad at the time commuted from, you know, Plymouth, Mass to Boston. So not a crazy distance, but a crazy commute, you know, could be two hours back then. And, you know, so, and big Irish Catholic family. So, you know, there was six kids and we all knew to be on our best behavior when my dad got home, right? Because we wouldn't get the best version of him when he came home, which was understandable, right? He had long day as an executive, long commute home. And, you know, my model is, you know, it has to do basically with the story of mental energy. Like his mental energy just would have been completely shot at that point, right? Depleted. And my my story of my dad is if, like, this is in hindsight, like, if he was given the opportunity to recharge, which recharging for him meant going down to his workbench and fiddling or polishing his shoes, but it's similar for most of us, right? Something that's more habitual, that's so different than how we spent our day that our brain can like, you know, move resources from where they were overused to where they were stored and weren't used. Then we'd get a great version of my dad an hour or so from now. So I think another thing that's, you know, like the story I tell about my dad, I think is a lot more useful than the story I would have told when I was 17, right? And um, and now it's cutting people a lot of slack for if they're not their best self at the end of the day, that maybe it's not their fault. Like they just maybe needed more mental energy um, or, you know, whether that's nootropics or positive habits that allow them to recharge during the day. And so as opposed to, I guess that idea of the fundamental attribution error, are you familiar with that mm, yeah, idea, yeah. right? Like rather than blaming it on someone's character. No, no, it's just the context. It's their circumstances. Sure. So, you know, let me give them the benefit of the doubt. That's so kind. That's so thoughtful. And that's a different, that that, that is a different tone than I hear across the performance and biohacking populations, right? This idea that maybe you just needed a little bit more nutrient support 
and you wouldn't be so short with your family. Maybe you just needed some sort of nootropic, even two, like, and not, maybe you don't need the seven. Maybe you need an, a, a, maybe the minimum effective dose for you, Johnny is, is two first thing in the morning. And that allows you to come home with a little bit of a, more of a positive attitude when you get home during the day. That's a lot. That's a, that's a very different tone and tenor and practicality and context for performance optimization than I'm used to having, you know, with clients of mine who are CEOs and, you know, ultra high performers, founders, you know, pro athlete types who have to drive and drive and drive. And when, we, when you presented in that way, like, well, maybe there were some nutrients that would have some stacks that would have made six o'clock to 11 o'clock every, you know, five days a week, that much more pleasurable and satisfying in your life. That's really, that's really tender. I appreciate that. Thanks. Well, I think the other thing too, that it's a, sometimes harder for us to be aware that things can have more remote effects or more distant from when we did something, right? So, you know, I think the two big windows that have disproportionately big impacts um, are the beginning of our day and then the transition into darkness, right? Because that, that's when our physiology is set, like our daytime physiology, our nighttime physiology. So, you know, what we do in that beginning of our day, you know, ripples all the way through till that time. And so, you know, breakfast can impact our sleep at night, fundamentally, right? Um, morning light can impact our life. And it's why I think, um, you know, the nootropics we take in the morning, part of the, the grade, the tough that we should be giving them is, you know, are they still helping us, you know, in the afternoon and evening? Because that's, you know, as important as what they allowed us to do in the hour or two after taking them in my mind. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. Well, while we're on the subject, what what is your, do you have an airtight evening routine? Do you walk us, I'm now, now I'm super curious. Like, are you, are you blue blocking glasses, red lights in the house? you know, like so, e EMF um, blocking paint in the bedroom, grounding mats to your bed. Like <laughs> what, what? No, I'm, I would be like a minimal biohacker compared to most. I, I got, um, you know, a blue blocker right here. <laughs> there you so, go. Okay. Um, so these will be what I wear if I'm watching TV at night, but no, I mean, I live right. I, I, even now as we're speaking, I can look out my window and see the Pacific ocean. So, you know, my goal is to, have some exposure to that transition, that, you know, sunset, twilight time. That's my most important thing, right, is to hear the ocean, see the sunset. Um, you know, I'll use the blue blockers if I'm going to be on the TV. Um, I try to eat around, you know, sunset-ish, right, um, which, you know, that target moves across the year um, or within an hour or so. So, um, and beyond that, no, I mean, I don't have, like, I'm... So the, again, like one of my stories, and this goes back to when I was in practice, I, I think sleep neglect is huge still, right? Not in our niche, right? I think we know about it, but an average person still, I think, doesn't pay the attention to sleep. But, so the story I would always tell patients is like, pay attention to the sleep bus. So the way I think of it, sleep is like a bus that pulls into a station about every hour and a half or so. It could vary mm -hmm. for you. Maybe yours is two hours, mine's an hour and a half whatever. But if we don't hop on the bus, when it comes, it's going to pull out without us. And now we don't get to say, oh, like, I want to go to sleep now. We have to wait for the next bus. 
So my goal in the evening is to make sure I'm relaxed enough so that I won't, I'll notice when the sleep bus is pulling in, yeah. I'll get on. And if that's yeah. at, you know, most nights that's around 10, but a couple nights ago, it was more like 9.15 that I was reading a book and it's like, oh, sleep bus is here, time to go. <laughs> right. So, so most of my night routine is geared towards like really just being comfortable, cozy in a nice environment um, and not so distracted that I'm going to not pay attention and sure. miss the sleep bus and I'll be up till 1130 or whatever the next one. And I think, you know, there's a fairly big problem with people. You know, what I think of as sleep onset insomnia, right? They now are, oh, it's 1130. I finished you know, doing whatever I'm going to do. I'm going to go to bed. But like your sleep bus might have come at 1030, right? Now you have to wait till maybe midnight or 12 15 and then they'll be lying in bed thinking there's a problem and yeah. the problem isn't like that you have insomnia the problem is that sleep buses aren't there at our beck and call yeah yeah really good really good point there yeah that uh i've had dr dr michael bruce on the podcast uh, a number of times i've spent a lot of a lot of time thinking about sleep and hacking sleep and you're right that is that is a really important point that when the sleep bus pulls up, when you have that sleep drive and you do that yawn, that big, like, oh, I could go to sleep. That when that's there and it's like after nine, nine thirty, and because obviously there's some value to keeping the same bedtime and keeping the same wake up time, but when that happens man, you better listen. You're right. Because you're going to get a second wind and then you're going to feel, you know, and if your lights are on and your TV's on and you're watching something that's elevating your heart rate, you know, you're watching mass murderer documentaries, you're, you're, you're probably going to miss that bus and you're going to stay awake longer. That's just really great advice. I, that's, that's, that's excellent. Very cool. As we, as we, get toward sort of the, the, the tail end of this, this interview. Um, what is the, what is the grand vision for the Neurohacker Collective? You know, I think, um, so the, I, I can't, you know, speak for the founders other than things I've heard them, you know, say in all hands types of meetings, but um, three people founded it, two brothers, James and Daniel Smockenberger. Um, James is our CEO. Daniel's legit one of the two brightest people I've ever, you know, met or been around. And then the third person was one of their buddies. And their their goal at the beginning was they really care about our planet and society and wanted to contribute to making a better world. And James in particular had cooked his brain in his mid-20s, you know, had the um, connections and the resources to go to a pretty sophisticated clinic at IVs and, you know, like um, biohacks, basically, right? And um, recoup, like rejuvenate his brain and his performance. And James's story is that he wanted to, as best as possible, bring more of that technology and knowledge to the rest of the world. So, you know, some of that's through supplements, and it was why, you know, neuro, the brain, um, like our thought was that if you can upgrade brain performance, a lot of the rest takes care of itself, right? We're, we're better versions of ourselves. We you know, have more empathy for people. We're, you know, socially, we're gonna, um, you know, be, I guess, more 
resilient in our emotions, but also better to handle social stresses. Um, but that's in the podcast, like what you're doing. We have a collective insights podcast that's the same. We have vastly more, you know, followers on Instagram than we'll ever have people buy from us. And our goal is to make sure that we're giving them legitimately good content. So, you know, in our own way, I think the goal of Neurohacker is very similar to your journey, right? It's to impact as many people giving high quality things to do because it's easy to get lost in all the noise, right? Like I, I follow a lot of biohackers and, you know, often more isn't better. It's, you know, so like, I remember this goes back to like pre 9-11. I was working for this startup. There was you know, me, another naturopath and two MDs that were the staff docs. And one of the MDs, super smart guy, but his, and he would always use the buzzwords integrative medicine. And his idea of integrative medicine was do everything. Like <laughs> do acupuncture and this and this. And I'm like, no, no, it's like a puzzle. Like Sean's puzzle may only need nutrition. You know, my puzzle may need exercise. Like we probably don't all need every puzzle piece. Like integrative medicine for me was finding what that missing piece or pieces and integrating that. And so I, I think the same for a lot of the people that follow you, that follow Neurohacker Collective, these compared to like my siblings or a lot of my friends that, you know, aren't doing all of the things, like sometimes stepping back and saying, you know, are there like a key, like a couple fulcrums, like the most important levers that I can apply to my life rather than thinking, oh, I'm just going to do it all. Yeah. I, that can be, I know for me, I, I lived that life in naturopathic school and there was a day i remember waking up thinking like oh i've got to do this and this and this and then bike to school and then you know make it through the first break and then do tai chi during my break and and i was like my life's overwhelming i can't even get out of bed i, I just uh. have too much to do and at that point i just said no like these things are here to serve me me not the opposite right so there's no shortage of things that are potentially good things, but I like that Stephen Coveyism. The enemy of the best is the good. Yeah. Right. So, what are the best for you know you, Sean, for me, Greg, and that that can be dynamic, right? The things that are best for me today may be different come the winter or come five years from now. So, you know, my goal is to constantly learn, to listen to experts, to make you know do the end of one like you know try something, give it a good run and see if like it bounces something out that maybe was less good that can be replaced with something better. But often it's the fundamentals, you know, like getting good sleep, getting exposure to, you know, sunsets, morning light that are the, the fulcrums for most of us. Yeah. So I think, you know, we often want to overcomplicate it. So I'm, I'm not yeah. a minimalist per se. I do a lot compared to my siblings and most of my friends, but I'm a minimalist <laughs> compared to a lot of the biohackers. Sure. You know? Sure. Well, it's all relative, right? And 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 what does even minimalist mean? You know, like that, yeah. It's all it's it's all relative. And you know, when I tell people that I shine red lights on my teeth, um, you know, five people go, you know, out of 10 people, 
nine go, why you weirdo? And one person goes, oh, I've actually tried that. And that works really well. Yeah, of course, of course. And up, up your nose too, you know, yep. nasal lasers are the bomb, of course. So I think it's, it's, it's all relative and, and figuring out what works for you for what your goals are is really important. Um, but I, I will tell you, you know, like kind of going back to, and I have one more question, which is a fill in the blank question before, before we um, turn off the microphones, but I have been so wonderfully surprised by the effect uh, uh, of quality of mind. And it, it is, it is interesting that it lasts as long as it does. And that the effect is pleasant in the evening time, because I have tried so many nootropics so many nootropics where I feel so intensely affected for five, six, sometimes seven hours. And then there's a crash at the end that the juice isn't worth the squeeze. And, and there are times in the, in my life and in my workload where I just need to put the pedal down and really focus and get things done for five or six hours and then step away from it. But for as far as a daily uh, product that doesn't leave me feeling, you know, worn out by the end of the day, I, quality of mind has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed taking it. And um, um, so that's just my two cents. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And, and, it's, and, and specifically the effect in the late afternoon, early evening, going into some of the evening activities where I'm coaching my son's flag football or going to jujitsu and, 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 and competing at a really high level. Um, that's, I don't feel like I have to take anything else at like five o'clock. You know, I don't need to, I don't need to get a shot of, you don't need to do a Red Bull. I don't need to do, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of caffeine. Like it's, it's, just, it's enough. I can kind of tap back into it. And uh, so I it nailed it. And I'm so glad to be able to have tried it. It's funny that it's been a decade, but, you know, to be able to try it this, this many years down the road has been great. So um, before I ask the, the last question, the fill in the blank question, which is a surprise, uh, is there, is there anything that, that you think I should know or, or a question that, that you were hoping I would ask that I didn't? No questions that I can think of. I think we've covered a lot for the audience. And I mean, it, I always, um, you know, kind of treasure these for lack of a better way to describe it. Cause you, you know, you're passionate, you're brilliant. So it's just great getting to interact with you. And I hope that comes across to the audience. Cause it's, yeah. it's been an enjoyable time for me. Awesome. I, I appreciate that. I mean, I get that a lot. That's a high comp. <laughs> I get that a lot. That's also a high compliment for a podcaster because, you know, everybody's got a podcast now, but, but to, to hear somebody say, Hey, this was an enjoyable conversation and, you know, felt like you cared and this is interesting. And we've talked about a lot of cool stuff. That's, that's what we're here for. So, um, well, before I ask the fill in the blank question, um, where should people go on the internet? It, if if I hadn't had announced it already, there's probably a special offer that we have set that I've already talked about in the first probably two minutes of the of the podcast. But um, where can people learn more? Yeah, we're um, neurohacker.com is our website. Um, that's where we would put any of the, the pilot studies we talked about or under the studies link there. Every product we have, including Follow Your Mind, I do a long blog, sometimes crazy long blogs. 
and talk about each ingredient, why we chose it, why we picked the doughs, you know, you know, why we're excited about it. So if you want to learn more, that's the place to go. And then Instagram would be our biggest um, venue for interacting with the broader world. We you know, do a lot on Instagram. Someone named Tina runs social media and just does a brilliant job. So um, it's Neurohacker on Instagram would be where you'd find us there. You're, and then you're, you're, it'll probably you're, be live by the, before this air, maybe not. Um, I petitioned to do a, like a book club, a once a month book club. Um, so it launches in June 2023. The first book is um, The Hungry Brain by um, Stefan um, DNA. Um, the next one's a, a book called um, The Mind Gut Connection. And the third one is Live Wired by um, Eagleman. He was just on Tim Ferriss. So um, we'll be running that through our Instagram. Channel. Awesome. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Cool idea. Summer book club. I totally dig it. And you're right. The 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 content coming out of the neurohacker uh instagram is insane it's no it's no surprise that there's a half a million uh followers because it's it's a juggernaut and it's all reused super interesting stuff um cool well this this brings us to the curveball uh fill in the blank question which i've asked now 350 times and and always yields an interesting response so this can be based obviously you've lived in an interesting life doesn't have to be specific to neuro collective or, or to neurohacker or doesn't have to be specific to even anything at all. But if you would please fill in the blank, you can elaborate as much or as little as you want. Everyone would benefit from knowing that when our brain's ruminating about something, it's on us to take some action to shut that down. So oh, you got to keep going. You got to elaborate, so, please. So rumination. So rumination means when the same thing just keeps coming up in our brain over and over. Right? So um, like my, per we have all, all have our different health journeys, right? So mine was with alcoholism when I was in the Navy. Um, Navy basically said, you're going to alcohol rehab, do not pass go. And, you know, there was certain things that were just chewing up my bandwidth going into that. Um, and one of like, you know, so one was I had this car, I didn't know what to do with it because I, you know, my license was suspended, but you know, like it, something needed to be done, right? And it just turned out one of the guys in alcohol rehab had a side gig back, you know, at this point in the late eighties selling used cars. So I'm like, you can have my car for a dollar, just get it like out of my brain, right? Like just that decision, right? That freed up resources to now be used for something else. And what I found in that, like, honestly, within the first week, um, there was several things like that where my brain just got locked onto something ruminating about it. And when I took an action on it, it freed those resources up to jump to some new, more important area. And so one of the, you know, I think it was that first Friday that to kind of by the end of the day, the people running the show came in and, and there's a group of, I mean, there was each like pod had about 10 people in it, like your core group that you met with in the morning, but then maybe there was 10 groups, so hundred people total going through the week. And so the people in charge said, oh, you know, by the way, we want to you know, contact your parents and loved ones and let them know where you're at and what you're going through. And so I, I can't say what the other people experienced walking out of that room, but I was hell no, like no one's telling my parents, I'm 27 or whatever I was at the time. And the rest of that afternoon, that evening, 
the next morning I woke up still that just taking up a huge amount of my bandwidth, like, oh, like I don't want my parents to know. And also realizing the Navy was going to get what it wanted at the end of the day, right? And so I just said, you know, screw it. I'm not going to let anything like just take up all my bandwidth again. I just watched it. It was a payphone at the time. Called my parents thinking my dad would be perplexed, you know, big drinker. I don't, it was, my projection was he wouldn't understand. My mom would have said, oh, like, this is a good thing. Like, you've had a, you know, you've always drank so much. This is good. And it was the opposite, actually. My dad, you know, you know, I'll take time off from work, fly to where you are, get a hotel, support you through this. My mom's like, I don't understand, right? So, so like, two things happened. One, that recognition, right? Like, taking an action to, to just close that rumination down was huge. But then what I was fearing, I was 180% wrong in both cases, right? Mm. Like, so my ability to predict the future, I realized is poor, right? But like each thing I did in that time period where I freed up bandwidth allowed me then to do some bigger thing, which at the end of the day allowed me to heal. Mm. Right? And I think many of us are have low level things constantly that we're ruminating about. And that like my, um, my story at least is that there's some action many of us can take that will free up a lot of that. And those are pretty big burdens sometimes to carry. So anyways, that would be it. Like, That's excellent. That's really great. I, I want to invite everyone to think about what that thing is for them. You know, right now, as you're listening to Greg explain this, this, uh, this pitfall of ruminating on something like, what is that for you tonight? Like, think about that today. Then, then stop thinking about it and activate, do something, affect it. Call your mom. I bet call your mom is probably on the top of a lot of people's lists, but call your mom or don't have a drink tonight or go for a walk or organize your finances, do these things that, that are going to have a big impact. Oh, that's really great. This is such a cool conversation, Greg. Uh, thank you for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. My pleasure, Sean. Thanks for having me.